action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We're continuing our series on 21st century horror with A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, directed by Anna Lily Amirpour. The Iranian ghost town of Bad City is a strange place. Almost always deserted, we get a glimpse into the lives of several inhabitants. Arash and his drug-addicted father, a drug dealer called Saeed, and a skateboarding girl dressed in a chador who is stalking the night alone. How will these disparate lives cross, and who is prey, and who is predator? Joshua, have you seen this before? I had seen this before. Um, I had very little memory of it. I think I saw it pretty much when it came out in 2014. And my main memories of it, thinking about before I went into it the second time for Torn Stubbs, my main memory was uh, the vampire chick skateboarding, which is a very cool visual. <laughs> kind of stuck chick, in my head. Feminist. Vampire chick. And some, somebody dancing in a room with a glitter ball. And that was all I could remember. So I was excited to go back to it because one of my friends is like a really big fan. Um, so yeah, how about you? I'd never seen it before, but... I bought it on Blu-ray about four years ago, and that's where it stayed on my watch pile until this time. Until what's why didn't you watch it before? I don't know. It just sometimes you just need to be in a certain mood for a foreign language feature because Uh you know you're going to have to really pay attention, and sometimes subtitles fuck with my eyes and i was just i just genuinely never in the mood to watch it and it's in black and white so that might be something that put you off as well no i mean i don't give a shit about black and white you know what i love clerks i love schindler's list i love sin city i have no problem citizen kane Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> i have no problem with black and white uh-huh i just think i don't know i feel like this is one of those films that has such a strong um sort of the publicity was all about the girl in the chador with the fangs you know that kind of really Mm -hmm. sort of pop art style poster work that they did that was so cool just like something you'd never seen before something that really cleverly sort of clashed two two sort of opposing images which were the vampire and the is it muslim what do the muslims wear the the chador or is it yeah, Iranian, yeah. Iranian Muslims. Iranian, um, yeah. There's like flashes of obviously vampire. There's uh, sort of flashes of the Western genre. Yeah, so it's this really sort of fertile, sort of almost shocking. It's really provocative. It's such a provocating, pro- provocative image. This idea of um, and is an Iranian woman wearing a, a chador, but also she's a vampire. You know, it's such a um yeah it's such a fertile image that you're kind of like oh shit like what the heck is that going to be what did you think of it this is one of those films that i appreciate uh, okay <laughs> I, it tried it did try my patience because it isn't so much as a narrative as a let's just have a look at what happens kind mm. of film it's very much a mood piece it's a um an observation piece there's no real storyline and in fact even the title doesn't really make a great deal of sense 
when you actually watch the film because she's not walking home. Yes, she's alone. <laughs> yes, she's at night. But she's not walking home. <laughs> so I wonder if I wonder if there was a different title in the Persian language that translated to something that didn't make any sense in English. So they just chose a very provocative title. A bit like the girl with the dragon tattoo makes no real sense. The original title is like Men Who Hate Women or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I don't think that's the case because technically the director, Anna Lilia Mirpour, she's um, part Iranian, but she lives in part was, America, was raised in America. So she's yeah. obviously coming at it from quite a strong American perspective. Um, for me, the title is absolutely perfect. And it kind of, I know what you mean about the fact that it's one of those films that sort of observes things happening but i the moment that i started to feel a bit frustrated with it was when we suddenly were had the uh the woman who was being paid for sex when she kind of came back into it and scratched the guy's car and i was like oh god we're back to her Mm. why but then i suddenly realized it's a girl walks home alone at night and the important word isn't a girl or at night or home the important word is alone because it's a film all about the horror of loneliness. Like all the people in the film are lonely. No, none more so than the girl played by Sheila Van. So I think that once that kind of clicked in my mind, okay, we're looking at the different ways that loneliness manifests in people and the way that they react to being lonely, that kind of suddenly revitalized the film in my eyes and I actually couldn't get enough of it. And I really wanted to see where it was going to go so i've completely missed the point haven't i (laughs) (laughs) i think it's one of those it's a first watch thing because the first time i watched it i remember loving a lot of the imagery loving the music but actually that i think one of the big reasons i had such little memory of it is because i did kind of miss the point you know i I was really Mm. expecting it to be this quite outrageous provocative controversial horror film about an Iranian woman who's a vampire, you know, I was really expecting it to confront some quite huge political issues. And it doesn't really do that. It really is just this very modest, intimate study of loneliness. I think you're right there. I think you're right. I think the the girl in the title isn't the vampire. It's the sex workers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the girl in the film is the vampire. She is called the girl. Um, but you can you can definitely sort of uh, interpret it in different ways for sure the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous shot in america yeah. not shot in iran um shot in america it's it's starkly black and white but in mm. a um in the 1930s 1940s kind of way it actually reminded me of ed wood Tim yeah burton's ed wood and obviously also uh, David Lynch is a razor head, but yeah, that's massively. also because the sound design is so industrial at times. Mm. And it just looks like it's this kind of deserted, almost post-apocalyptic um, environment where it is mostly set at night and it's, it is deserted. There's nobody around. It's just these characters sort of drifting around alone, essentially. Well, that's the title, isn't it? Alone yeah. at night. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other bit of the title. <laughs> the... Uh... With a title like that, you're not going to set the film in a 
busy street during the day, are you? <laughs> but I do like how the industrial soundscape was so at odds with the biological nature of what it means to be a vampire. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a really unusual sort of conflicting imagery. Yeah, and you know, it's not. There are moments of real horror, like when the girl bites off the finger of the uh, the drug dealer. Yeah. Um, but the horror really is about these people who are just completely alone. There's nobody um, sort of witnessing their lives, really. And they're just completely lost and they're being taken advantage of. They're taking advantage of people. You know, the father is is kind of drug addict who um, is so reliant on his son and will do not, has no real drive to change the situation. And yet he's also exploiting the, the girl, you know, the woman that he ends up paying um and he literally pays her to sleep with him you know yeah. it, they literally go to sleep because he misses his wife so much he pays her drugs her up so she'll pass out just so he can have a warm body in a bed next to him it's really fucking sad i think there's a real sense of of sadness in the film you know that you know there's the moment where the girl um in almost like this it, it feels like this really desperate moment she throws herself on this homeless man and just sort of devours him and it, it's not it's a moment it's another moment of lonely horror where she's doing this I, I have to kill to survive um but it, it's got such an undercurrent of melancholy and sadness to it that it's it makes it even more uh it makes it more complex than just she's a vampire killing people the title go back to the title the title is also quite purposefully misleading a girl walks home alone at night you Mm. would think that puts the girl in danger but in fact she's the danger yeah and it very cleverly plays with that at the beginning where she does walk home alone well she walks somewhere alone at night (laughs) and um she's tiny she's absolutely tiny and Mm. i think the first time you really see her oh the first time you see her is when she's watching the drug guy and the i assume she can call her a sex worker in the car together and um sort of the next scene pretty much you see her then following the drug dealer and he turns around and confronts her and he's fucking enormous and so it really does play into that horror idea of men big strong women weak die you know and yeah it kind of really cleverly plays with that because you really worry about her you know you kind of think shit what's going to happen to her she's we're taught or we're in western media we are sort of yeah we are kind of taught to believe that the the chador is this symbol of repression um you know they're powerless women are powerless in in the face of masculine strength and so to see a woman wearing a chador, um, you know, confronted with this hugely tattooed muscular guy, you immediately think, fuck, she's she's seriously in trouble here. And then the genius of the film is that it, it completely turns it around and she ends up killing him. You know, it's brilliant. The, the, the chador, obviously uh, standing in as Dracula's cape, yeah. definitely becomes a symbol of empowerment here. Yeah, yeah. And I've read around... I've tried, you know, I've quickly read around what the Chador kind of means in in sort of modern times. Um, and I, you know, I I find I've found it com- massively confusing. I'm in- 
incredibly ignorant about it, to be honest. But it seems like the Chador has almost been reappropriated by a lot of Iranian women as a symbol of power for them. You know, they're they're wearing their religion, they're owning their religion. Um, so it's obviously a massively complicated issue. But I'm not convinced that Amir Poor really was going for anything hugely political. I think she she's kind of talked about it and um, and kind of said, oh, the only real political thing in the movie is not the Chador, it's the rockabilly character who is the the, the gay drag. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's really it's really ambiguous. I'm not sure if he's trans or she's trans. The or balloon lady. Yeah, the balloon dancer, which that that's a lovely little beautiful moment where you're just like, why? What is this? <laughs> what, what are we doing here? <laughs> I'm like, is he dancing with a, a metaphorical vampire? Is the balloon the vampire? What is going on here? Well, I, I, I mean, thinking about it, that balloon character is, to use some woke parlance, mm. living their best life mm-hmm. amidst all this misery amidst all this repression especially by the iranian government because it is so so unbelievably taboo and illegal and dangerous Mm. to be openly lgbtqi plus in iran yeah yeah i know in this film that you know i think the character is called rockabilly you know he they exist in this sort of alternate section of this uh, imagined world where they appear to be completely free and they are just observing everything else that's going on around them with this kind of oh well it's not nothing to do with me kind of thing <laughs> you know they're the only ones that are free maybe it almost feels like have you ever seen lost highway no i haven't so there's a character in uh lost highway uh, called the mystery man and although the mystery man in lost highway is in t- basically integral to the plot and is very controlling it, this balloon person feels mm. sort of like that almost like almost like the 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 character of elvis in true romance right. almost like a, a guardian angel watching over but not necessarily interfering so yeah. not like the mystery man at all. Maybe a little bit like the cowboy in Mulholland Drive, but again, not interfering. <laughs> Just being yeah. very distant but close and watching. Yeah. Maybe like the giant in Twin Peaks. It's a very Lynchian thing. It feels very Lynchian. It feels really Lynchian. It's got a definite Tarantino vibe to it in in terms of sort of the really cool indie music music yeah just makes you want to dance and you've never heard it before in your life but it's just fantastic but they don't dance isn't that isn't that brilliant in that scene the scene with the the glitter ball where they basically they don't dance they just very slowly over the course of maybe the whole song three or four minutes move very slowly towards each other and she sees his neck but she doesn't bite why doesn't she bite she what listens. is it about this boy that, yeah. you know, what is it about, about Arash that she senses something in him that she doesn't bite? Well, it's the loneliness and the fact, you know, instead of biting him, she she puts her ear to his chest and listens to his heartbeat. And she's obviously, that that's such a powerful image of loneliness. You know, she wants to hear somebody else's heartbeat. She hasn't got one. Um, and he is also alone you know he's he's um 
having to look after his father and is completely alone in that. He's he's basically a carer for this drug addict father. And um, and so he's completely alone. So she almost recognizes, I mean, everyone in the world is alone, but with him, she recognizes this almost like twin existence occurring. But there's never really any, you know, does the ending suggest that she's going to turn him into a vampire, you know, or are they going to, does she do this a lot? Does she meet men? and they they remain human and she has a life with them and then when they die she's back to being on her own again like is this just like a self-perpetuating cycle that's the life of a vampire it's like interview with the vampire slayer no interview with the vampire not the slayer <laughs> interview with the vampire slayer i would watch the shit out of that <laughs> um on the interview with the vampire he's the brad pitt character even though it's never explicitly said he there is that kind of monologue or that, that, that montage, rather, where he's talking about how the fact that he is now only able to exist at night. He can't see the sunrise, so he has to go see the sunrise in films like Superman. And mm. people around him, he's he's obviously completely alone. He has no friends because everyone dies around him. Um, even, in, even in the comic Preacher, um, Cassidy at one point yeah. touches on this, that... You know, he's over a hundred years old now and people that he loves dies. Yeah. And that's that's a that's a section from um Death Becomes Her, which although it's not a vampire film, it's a mm. film about living forever and the earnest character played by Bruce Willis, not the late Bruce Willis then, he was very much alive <laughs> then. The prelate he says the he's early, the early Bruce he's, Willis. He's early, early Bruce Willis. He literally is early Bruce Willis, it's early nineties. <laughs> he says you know why would i want to live forever everyone around me will die or my friends will die what if i what if i get pushed down what if i fall down the flight of stairs <laughs> and i break up into a thousand pieces and all i've yeah, got is so spray it, paint for my for my skin it, it, color. it is a a lonely existence being a vampire but i don't know if she spares his life because of that because everyone's lonely but she's still kills the dad she still kills the the drug dealer so is it a mm. morality thing can she sense an idea of good and bad is bad city a binary place even its name suggests that it's a binary place somewhere there's good city yeah yeah well i don't know because he said doesn't he say something like oh, i've done terrible things you don't know what i've done and she's like no it's all right i have too um yeah there's that weird thing where she's sort of she's avenging certain people who have had who are doing bad things or have had bad things done to them but with him he's not killed anyone but he has stolen and he has sort of dealt drugs and stuff but he's not objective he's not obje objectifying anybody and, and i know that the scene where he tells the the woman to leave the room because he's because you know look bad to her parents that there's a there's a boy in her bedroom i know he does that to steal her earrings but then you kind of don't get the sense he doesn't mean it as well you know that he doesn't actually genuinely believe that why doesn't he take revenge when he realizes she's killed his father i know i couldn't there's just not enough there to really to really sort of suss it out but i guess He's, she's kind of done him a favor you know she's kind of put 
the father out of the, out of his misery out of this miserable life that he clearly doesn't particularly want to be living anymore he's basically trying to kill himself just extremely slowly mm. so in some ways even though she did it in sort of a vengeful ac- action she almost just did it as like an act of mercy did she i don't think her motivation was mercy well he could interpret it as that he could yes but you know his truth is not the truth no no i know but there's no saying there's no saying that after the credits roll there isn't a really fraught conversation in the car when he realizes she was just really fucking hated his dad and wanted to kill him (laughs) (laughs) could it be that in spite of the death of the father he just feels well now i have someone so that's a Mm. small price to pay yeah possibly and also there's the fact that he is incredibly attractive even his dad says he's a pretty boy so i mean wouldn't you be like yeah you don't like you could be a good life partner i could i could look at you for a while <laughs> i am um, i kept getting johnny depp vibes from him and i was getting winona Ryder vibes from her yes massively like That's late so 80s true. early 90s yeah completely yeah because he was dressed in the rockabilly style and it looked like um crybaby yeah yeah she, it really did and she he's got looked the car. like Winona Ryder yeah and she looked like he was a greaser and she looked like Winona Ryder from Beetlejuice with like the veil yeah. over and dressed in black yeah with the sort with of the bone white Breton, face poking out Breton striped top yeah it was very it was I kind of that's that's one of the reasons I think maybe this film works better maybe now and possibly on like a second viewing is that it really is completely timeless it's Mm. impossible to figure out when it's when it takes place you know um the girl has a madonna poster in her room that's from like 1983 or something and he's obviously living in sort of a 40s 50s existence and there's bodies in the viaduct and which is um, a very david lynch thing because you look at twin peaks and you look at lost highway and it's so mixing the 90s and the 50s mm. and it's seamless it's it's very woven together it's not you can't see the borders mm. actually going back to why she's why she chooses him when she kind of encounters him possibly even for the first time properly it, he's wearing a dracula cape so yeah he's there's well, that he's as well on. there's that going on as well it's it's very he's overtly. high as a kite on yeah on pills and at the party and he's dressed as dracula and he's not he's like the traditional movie dracula and she's this new dracula this new vampire yeah i can see absolutely because it's such it's such an iconic look it Mm. really symbolizes this film the striped t-shirt the chador, the cape, the skateboarding, the youthful look. I can see a lot of girls and maybe even boys or maybe even non-binary people really mm. accepting that image as something to cosplay at Comic-Con. Yeah. Yeah, massively. And especially at Halloween. Yeah. Because it does look so damn cool. It just is cool. Yeah, that's the thing the film really has going for it is this sense of coolness that yeah it's just it just is awesome that i mean aesthetically it's basically faultless you know it looks amazing yes um you know it's it's, it's just got i think it's going to of... take a couple of times to let it sink in like a razor yeah. head 
You yeah, know, yeah. It, it's it's very sub- it, the film is very subjective. It can be read in. It's very um, subtle and ambiguous. Yeah. How is this a horror? Well, like I said, it, it's kind of a horror about loneliness. I mean, just by just by having a vampire in it, it kind of makes it horror. Although you could say Twilight isn't really horror, but then you could say they're not really proper vampires in Twilight. So, I think because there is. I like those Twilight films. Nobody nobody in Twilight (laughs) nobody in Twilight chewed off fingers and stuff. Um, I think having a vampire makes it horror. Having a vampire who does horrific things makes it horror. And Mm -hmm. just the fact that it's about sort of really, really quite um, upsetting human loneliness is a real horror thing as well. What do you think? Well, that's the real horror of life, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. This this doesn't do jump scares. This doesn't do, you know, is it, there's a noise. Oh, it's a cat. This isn't a John mm. Carpenter. The cat's too fat film. to actually be scary. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like pudding. It's a cat pudding that kind of <laughs> cat pudding. Um, but it, you know, it's a big blend of of genre. You've got silent film, German expressionist. There's a midnight yeah. movie feel to it. This will be a great. Um, I just feel tonally this will be a brilliant midnight double feature with it follows yeah yeah definitely then you've got western vampire it's pulpy and i'm i'm gonna say i think it's part of this elevated horror movement yeah. over the last five or six years and also it, it i mean it was turned into a graphic novel when it was released mm. as well but it has a feeling of a graphic novel it has that persepolis kind of feeling to it yeah i was it's about a young Perse- a seemingly Perse- young woman persepolis yeah. I can't I don't know how to say it. Um do you think you'll watch it again anytime soon? I think it's one I'll show to people. I think it and I'll I'll kind of explain to them <laughs> why it's good as it goes along. Um yeah, I think I will watch it again. And actually it is one of those films where the marketing is so beautiful you almost just kind of want to buy it. You just want to own it. It just looks like a collector's I item. Think, I think the graphic marketing it could actually do it a little bit of harm because it you know looking at the blu-ray cover here with this sort of graphic image of the girl with the face and it's all very suggestive it mm. sort of leads you to think it's a different film mm. yeah yeah you know, it, it makes different... you think it's going to be this real splattery tarantino style film or even a um like an italian horror mm. like um Suspiria. like argento or yeah exactly yeah Fucci. that kind of blood red but sort of jukebox red red that they've used is very much mm. like the blood that you know argento would use mm. i will watch it again um it's just gonna have to be a while i need to let it sink in and yeah. like a razor head it's something you go back to and i think the more you watch something like this the more you get into the groove of it mm. and it, it becomes less tedious because you you know the rhythm, you know, you kind of know what happens, but you can start noticing small yeah. details. What do you think about the female gaze in the film? This is a real film studies question for you, Rob. <laughs> well, Let's talk about the, the female, female gaze. gaze. The film represents women in one of two ways. Either they are being used by men or they're hunting men. Mm. So either they are playthings or they're a threat. Yeah. So I don't know if that's because I'm a man and I'm, you know, I'm looking out of my eyes at 
across the lane at the women. But I just wonder, are the, the female characters in this film, are they, do they have their own agency or are they just connected to men either as hunter or prey? Mm. Yeah. What's your thoughts? I don't really know. I think it's very much up for grabs. Um, the, the only thing I really noticed was that, so the scene in the disco where Arash is sort of basically being seduced by the the sort of the rich daughter of the house where he was working at the start of the film, yeah. when she's kind of dancing seductively trying to seduce him, the camera doesn't do that very male gazy thing where it kind of goes up and down her body and really like looks at her curves, looks at her butt and her boobs and all that kind of stuff. Mm. It really yeah. stays on her face, um, which I think is quite telling because I think a lot of male directors equate sort of seduction with the body you know the, the a full body experience whereas um anna lilia mirpour she kind of really sticks close on the faces and wants to look at the emotion and what is actually happening between these two people mm. so i found that really interesting um and also it doesn't really feel like anyone's being objectified by the camera much like nobody nobody's body is being sort of um, objectified is is not being exploited or put on display really it's very much about the people um, the people and their kind of internal lives and stuff yeah so just yeah, hearing it's... that made me think of that scene in red dragon the brett ratner version mm. where um will graham is in the tree and he's imagining what uh, what the bad guy I can't remember what the bad guy in Red Dragon you're reading it at the moment aren't you or you've bought it I have it, it to read pile. yeah you have it to yeah. read so I can't remember what the bad guy is called um, but he's imagining isn't what the fairy, bad guy did tooth fairy to... or something isn't he <laughs> something, like, something that. like that something yeah. like that something like that yeah the tooth fairy but he's imagining what the, the bad guy was, had done to this family that he had murdered and the way that Brett Ratner shoots it is from the point of view of the tooth fairy and he has he has this ridiculous moment where the tooth fairy is sort of ripping and grabbing at the woman and there's a close-up of her breasts being revealed mm. for nothing more than brett ratner is a pervy 13 year old <laughs> with a budget yeah well that's the harvey weinstein school of filmmaking isn't it it's like if they've got tits you've got to show them and like they do show <laughs> they do show the girl's breasts in a girl walks home alone at night, but it's not in any sensational oh, yeah, that, way. That amazing scene where she's sort of mm. in the bath half and half. It's like, like Apocalypse um, Now. Like Apocalypse Now. I was just trying to think of what his name What's his name? Martin Short. Martin Sheen. No, not Martin Short. Martin, Martin Short. Sheen. I would love Martin. to see Martin Short in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Frank. Frank, we go to the... <laughs> <laughs> the father of the brood. <laughs> I love the smell of napalm in the morning, Mr. <laughs> that was A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, directed by Anna Lily Amipour. Joshua, give us a clue as to what's coming up next week. Oh, what's coming up next? We're showing off a bit of skin. Mm. Oh, where's Martin Short when you need him? Oh, Frank. <laughs> oh, Frank. Welcome to the 90s, Mr. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Acast so you don't miss an episode. And we're on Twitter at TornStubsPod, so come give us a tweet. We're off to walk home alone at night. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut! White light, it's all a dream, lost in the fire, this golden obsession, music in my heart, deep in my eyes, dancing from the opium, in a perfect world where nothing dies, broken glass on the bottom of my heels, oriental dress, the one you love is a mess. All a dream.
God.